Hi, men. This is Gary Yeagle, producer of the Mission Focused Men for Christ podcast. We believe that Adam was created to exercise dominion over the kingdom Earth on behalf of God. As he and Eve multiplied, labor diversified, and society took shape, he and Eve were to shape the evolving culture for God. In fact, Adam's vocation that is, his job of cultivating the garden is the very word from which we get culture. In 2023, as men seek to shape the thinking of their wives, children, grandchildren, work associates, and neighbors, they're intensely aware of the competing worldviews that God's enemy, Satan, wants to use to shape culture instead. That is why all Christian men are called to be warriors, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This calling to battle false ideas is behind the title of this month's episode series, Meeting the Worldview Challenges in a Broken Culture. This series consists of the former episodes of Mission Focused Men for Christ that we believe are most valuable in 2023. Today's episode examines one of the most common arguments Satan is using in Western culture right now, that Christianity is inherently intolerant by claiming that there can't be just one true religion. Some of this apologetic material will be familiar to you, but if you're like I am, you like to hear apologetics arguments frequently so that when you have the opportunity to speak into the culture, the arguments are fresh in your memory and easily come to mind. So today's episode, answering the objection that there can't be just one true religion. Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps Christian men win the race marked out for them. Fighting words are words that arouse a visceral response in people, making their gut churn and their hands ball into fists. As you well know, for years, fighting words have been flying all over Twitter and Facebook in the political clash over our nation's future. This episode looks beneath this political rhetoric to a deeper, even more significant war, the battle by which Christians are to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Christian men, as leaders of their homes and churches, are to lead the way in this fight. This is the reason for this current series surrounding our loved ones with the belt of truth. Today's culture is marinated in the idea that tolerance is the highest virtue in the land. Therefore, Christ's words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, are fighting words for many. Saying your religion is right and all the others are wrong is the epitome of intolerance. So, How do we help our loved ones survive this assault on their faith and winsomely challenge others to investigate the claims of Christ? That is today's topic. Thanks for joining us today for season number one, episode number 50 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. 
A 20-something man said to the speaker, religious exclusivity is not just narrow, it's dangerous. Religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict. It may be the biggest enemy of peace in the world. If Christians continue to insist that they have the truth, and if other religions do as well, the world will never know peace. The argument, it is arrogant to insist your religion is right and to convert others to it, is frequently directed at the Christian faith. Others argue religious faith is ethnocentric, too culturally and historically conditioned for it to be true. Besides, all major religions are equally valid and teach the same thing. Let's look at how to answer the claim to exclusivity objection. First, consider its cultural bias. Most people in the world, including many who are just as educated and intelligent as the 20-something objecting to Christ's exclusivity claim, do not hold his view that all religions are equally valid. Most humans believe their religious views are right and others' views are wrong. In fact, trying to invalidate a religion for having exclusiveness claims doesn't work in non-Western cultures. Tim Keller points out, Most non-Western cultures have no problem saying that their culture and religion is best. The idea that it is wrong to do so is deeply rooted in Western traditions of self-criticism and individualism. To charge others with the sin of ethnocentrism is really a way of saying our culture's approach to other cultures is superior to yours. We are then doing the very thing we forbid others to do. The exclusivity argument is fatally flawed. Skeptics reflect the subjective values of their own culture when they assume that any exclusive claims to a superior knowledge of spiritual reality cannot be true. But this objection itself reflects Western culture's bias. It is an unproved assumption, an article of the faith of Western culture. The second logical flaw in this 20-somethings argument is that all religions don't at all teach the same things. For example, consider different views of God. The Christian is a Trinitarian. He believes in only one true God, but that in the unity of the Godhead there are three eternal and co-equal persons. The Jew and the Muslim are strong Unitarians. They believe in only one true God and only one person in the Godhead. The philosophical Hindu is a monist, meaning all is one, or pantheist, whose God is an eternal, non-personal, abstract being without knowable attributes. God is an it rather than a person. The popular sects of Hindu are polytheistic, worshippers of many gods. Various sects of Buddhism hold a variety of views on God. These sects are either polytheistic, pantheistic, or atheistic. As we can see, there is a great diversity of views just on the identity of God. Number two, different views of reaching heaven. According to Christianity, one enters heaven by his acceptance of Christ's payment on the cross for his sin. Christianity's solution is based on faith in Jesus Christ, not on man's good works. 
The Jew believes he gains salvation by turning back to God and living a moral life. There is no assurance of salvation since it will be determined by man's own efforts. The Muslim tries to earn his salvation by believing in the five doctrines of Islam and by performing the duties of the five pillars. But it all depends on his behavior, so he cannot be sure. The Hindu believes he achieves his desired state of oneness with Brahman through a series of incarnations. The law of karma says a Hindu reaps in the next life the rewards or punishments of the present life. The Buddhist believes he earns his own release from the endless chain of reincarnations by following the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Four of these five religions seek salvation through human effort, but the effort is different for each. Christianity alone teaches that the human effort of good works can never enable sinful man to enter the presence of a holy God. Man's only recourse is to humble himself, confess this sinfulness and inability, and trust in Christ's atoning death alone as the sacrifice for his sin. From the standpoint of logic alone, this categorical difference between Christianity, God reaching to man, and other religions, man trying to reach God, makes total sense. The biblical teaching also explains why other religions exist. We are created with a God-shaped vacuum. Sinful hearts that don't want to submit to the true God try to fill that vacuum with a God they have fashioned themselves. Let's continue to consider the uniqueness of Christianity. First and foremost, Jesus claimed to be God. Christ was unique among the founders of the world religions. Some promoted their teachings as the only way to God, but Christ promoted himself as the only way to God. Christ claimed not only exclusivity, but deity. Here are some of the ways Jesus claimed divinity. Number one, by his identification with the Father. Jesus said, If you knew me, you would know my Father also. John eight nineteen. And whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John fourteen nine. The second way Jesus claimed divinity was by his use of the phrase I am, Yahweh. Boa and Moody explained, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, John eight fifty eight. This was equivalent to claiming that he himself was Yahweh. Exodus 3.14 reads, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This in response to Moses' request for the name of God. By calling himself I am, Christ was at the same time claiming to be Jehovah God. The third way that Jesus claimed divinity was by calling himself the Son of Man. This was the title Jesus most often used of himself, used 81 times in the Gospels. Though on the surface this term connotes the humanity of the Messiah, the term goes back to Daniel 7, where we read, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. 
The reference to the clouds of heaven is a clear reference saying that the Messiah who establishes his kingdom of righteousness would be divine. What was missed by many Jews was that coming with the clouds of heaven is only ever used in the Old Testament to refer to God. The Messiah would be God himself. Number four, Christ further supported his case for deity by ascribing to himself various attributes of God. He claimed eternality, John 17, 5, omnipresence, Matthew 18, 20, and 28, 20. He also spoke of his sinlessness, John 18, 46. His indirect claims included his acceptance of worship by men, his ability to forgive sins, and his claim that all men would face him in judgment. A fifth observation about Christ's claim to divinity is that those claims could not have been changed or made by revisionist disciples who later deified him because his claim to exclusivity and to deity were heard by the critics and his enemies of his day. Frequently, when he made these dramatic claims, the Jews accused him of blasphemy. They correctly understood the implications of what he was saying, realizing that he was making himself to be equal with God. Consider just a few verses, Mark 2, 6 through 7. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Or John five eighteen. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Or John 10, verses 30 through 33. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus, unlike any other religious leader of the world, claimed to be God in the flesh. This fact presents us with a logical choice. Jesus must be either a liar, he was saying that he was God, but he knew he wasn't, a lunatic, one who was deranged and thought he was God, or who he said he was, the Lord of the universe. Years ago, a crew speaker named Josh McDowell popularized the cogent, logical thinking of C.S. Lewis, the great professor at Cambridge University and once an agnostic. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Christ. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic 
on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. If Jesus claimed to be God but didn't know he wasn't, Jesus was a lunatic. If Jesus claimed to be God and knew he wasn't, Jesus was a liar. Lewis continues, You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. We must help our kids see this compelling case that many of us have heard before. Thousands of our rising generation go off to school or the workplace thinking that their Christian faith is not substantiated by reason, but is an irrational leap of Sunday school belief. They begin to doubt it and become fearful of identifying themselves with Christ. The truth is that logic and reason could not be more on their side. We must surround our loved ones with the belt of God's truth. Let's return to the accusation that believing Jesus' claim, no one comes to the Father but by me, leads necessarily to intolerance. One rabbi articulated this view, saying, I am absolutely against any religion that says that one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. It's a way of saying that we are closer to God than you, and that's what leads to hatred. This is a great summary of the dominant morality of the time. Truth divides, so we must leap into irrationalism, truth doesn't matter, and subjectivism, you have your truth, I have mine. With Christ's help, we must wage spiritual war and tear down these strongholds in our loved one's thinking. Let's analyze the rabbi's statement. First, he objects to a religion that says one faith is superior to another. But everyone knows that believing something that is true is superior to believing a myth. Whether the content of what you believe is true or false matters. Nobody lives as if it doesn't. If a driver sees a train approaching the railroad crossing on his road and guns it because he believes he can cross it before the train gets there, whether his belief is right or wrong matters. If his belief is wrong, he will end up dead. In real life, we laugh at the naive and gullible who believe the snake oil salesman's claims that his cure will work. The rabbi's argument is out of touch with the way real people live their real lives. The truth of what you believe matters, and we all know that. Second, in the 20th century, some of those who shared the rabbi's view that world peace is thwarted primarily by religion established secular states that outlawed religion. These societies included Soviet Russia, Communist China, 
the Khmer Rouge and Nazi Germany, who tried to control religion rather than to exterminate it. The tragic irony of these misguided efforts at world peace is brought out by Alistair McGrath in his History of Atheism. He writes, the 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing paradoxes of human history, that the greatest intolerance and violence of that century were practiced by those who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence. These 20th century experiments prove that violence among human beings is not caused by religion but by something that is fundamentally flawed in human nature. Christians would call that sin. Third, although some Christians have been shamefully intolerant, biblical Christianity, which makes exclusive truth claims, does provide within itself key tools that are the basis for overcoming intolerance. It must be admitted freely that at times Christians have shamefully failed to utilize these tools, leading to Christian support of racism in the South. Nevertheless, Christianity, unlike any other religion, has the tools within itself to overcome intolerance when these tools are employed. Let's take a close look at these tools. Number one, Christians believe all human beings, including those of other faiths, are made in the image of God and have inherent value whose dignity is to be protected. Number two, we believe in common grace. Therefore, some non-Christians live more moral lives than Christians. Therefore, even those who don't hold a biblical worldview can be allies in developing culture and building a morally upright society. Three, Christians believe in their own severe depravity. At the core of Christianity is conviction of our own sin, which is the most potent cure for judgmentalism. Fourth, unlike Muhammad, Jesus repudiated the use of force to spread his kingdom, calling his followers to influence the culture as salt and light and leaven spreading throughout that culture. Fifth, Christians believe the best summary of our moral obligation is to love God and love our neighbor. Devotion to God can therefore never require harming our neighbor. And number six, we believe Jesus left us his example of forgiving his enemies, saying from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We must acknowledge that Christians have at times been intolerant, but that is not caused by the beliefs of Christianity, which provide life-changing power to overcome intolerance. It is caused by the failure of Christians to live out their own beliefs. To summarize this episode, fighting words in this culture are words proclaiming Christ is the only way to God. For our child to even acknowledge that he is a Christian in this culture will likely brand him intolerant. 
You will often hear that religions of the world all believe basically the same thing, and that saying one faith is superior to the others is what undermines world peace. But a close examination of the premise, there can't be just one true religion, shows it to be both a biased view of Western culture and thoroughly illogical. Religions do not believe the same things. Christ alone, no other religious leader, claimed to be God. He was either God, he was mistaken, or he was deliberately lying. If he was God, Christianity is radically different from all other religions. Their path to heaven is man reaching up to God. Christianity is God reaching down to man. The exclusivity of Christianity is completely logical. Although Christians have at times been intolerant, within the belief structure of Christianity are life-transforming truths that, when embraced, are the antidote to the intolerance the world wants to stamp out. Faith in Christ is, in fact, the solution to intolerance. For further prayerful thought, number one, can you think of an instance when you heard the Christianity is too narrow and intolerant argument? What do you think are the hidden assumptions of those who say that? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org, where this podcast series, Surrounding Our Loved Ones with the Belt of Truth, The blog version is designed for you to print, to share with your wife or kids, and includes some extra links to resources used for the podcast. So the print version, again, is at forgingbonds.org backslash blog. Next week, we continue our series surrounding our loved ones with the belt of truth. We'll examine how to help our loved ones develop a confident response to the argument You can't take the Bible literally. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.